Hello, uh, it's your host, Raleigh the Second of America, and I would like to welcome you to the third episode of The Pillar of Fire. It's just going to be me for this episode, but we have some great things in store. We're going to look at Romans chapter 3. Um, I have a hymn already, and we are also going to talk about how to stay safe and sane in quarantine when you're stuck with the same people in the same house for months on end, and what looks like is going to be a couple of more months. Let's take a look at our hymn first. Since it's about Christmas, I figured we'd do a nice Christmas hymn like Silent Night. Uh, however, since we're all about unusual hymns here, I wanted to sing a couple of verses of Silent Night that you probably haven't heard before. So, this is Silent Night. Uh, verses 2, 4, and 6, translated by John Freeman Young. Silent Night to get started. Dear Lord, I thank you for this wonderful day. This is a day you have made, so we will rejoice in it and be glad. I thank you that you give us the gift of prayer. I thank you that we can come to you and that you will hear us. You promise that you love us and you listen to our concerns. I thank you so much for that overwhelming love that we do not deserve. I pray that you will give me wisdom. I pray that you will give me the words to say so that I may, be, may share with others today. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 3 from the Complete Jewish Bible by David H. Stern. Then, since it's just me, I'm going to go ahead and read the whole thing. And then after I get through all um, 31 verses, then I'll go back and give you my comments. Then what advantage has the Jew? 
What is the value of being circumcised? Much in every way. In the first place, the Jews were entrusted with the very words of God. If some of them were unfaithful, so what? Does their faithfulness cancel God's faithfulness? Heaven forbid! God would be true even if everyone were a liar, as the Tanakh says. So that you, God, may be proved right in your words and win the verdict when you are put on trial. Now if our unrighteousness highlights God's righteousness, what should we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict his anger on us? I am speaking the way people commonly do. Heaven forbid! Else, how could God judge the world? But, you say, if through my lie, God's truth is enhanced and brings him greater glory, why am I still being judged merely for being a sinner? Indeed! Why not say, as some people slander us by claiming we do, let us do evil so that good may come of it. Against them, judgment is a just one. So are we Jews better off? Not entirely, for I've already made the charge that all people, Jews and Gentiles alike, are controlled by sin. As the Tanakh puts it, there is no one righteous, not even one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned away and at the same time become useless. There is no one who shows kindness. Not a single one. Their throats are open graves. They use their tongues to deceive. Viper's venom is under their lips. Their mouths are full of curses and bitterness. Their feet rush to shed blood. In their ways are ruin and misery. In the way of shalom they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Moreover, we know that whatever the Torah says, it says to those living within the framework of the Torah, in order that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be shown to deserve God's adverse judgment. For in his sight, no one alive will be considered righteous on the ground of legalistic observance of Torah commands, because what Torah really does is show people how sinful they are. But now, quite apart from Torah, God's way of making people righteous in his sight has been made clear, although the Torah and the prophets give their witness to it as well. And it is a righteousness that comes from God, through the faithfulness of Yeshua the Messiah, to all who continue trusting. For it makes no difference whether one is a Jew or a Gentile, since all have sinned and come short of earning God's praise. By God's grace, without earning it, all are granted the status of being considered righteous before him, though the act redeeming us from our enslavement to sin was accomplished by the Messiah Yeshua. God put Yeshua forward as the copper for sin through his faithfulness in respect to his bloody sacrificial death. This vindicated God's righteousness because, in his forbearance, he had passed over with neither punishment nor remission the sins people had committed in the past. And it vindicates his righteousness in the present age by showing that he is righteous himself and is also the one who makes people righteous on the ground of Yeshua's faithfulness. So what room is left for boasting? None at all. What kind of Torah excludes it? One that has to do with legalistic observance of rules? No. Rather, a Torah has to do with trusting. Therefore, we hold the view that a person comes to be considered righteous by God on the grounds of trusting, which has nothing to do with legalistic observance of Torah commands. Or is God the God of Jews only? Isn't he also the God of Gentiles? Yes, he is indeed the God of the Gentiles, because, as you admit, God is one. Therefore, he will consider unrighteous the circumcised on the ground of trusting and the circumcised through that same trusting. Does it follow that we abolish Torah by this trusting? Heaven forbid! On the contrary, we confirm Torah. Wow, what a chapter. There are several references to Old Testament scripture in this chapter, so let's just go ahead and start at the beginning of them. 
The first reference comes all the way back in verse 4. So that you, God, may be proved right in your words and win the verdict when you are put on trial. Uh, this one is a reference to a passage in Psalms 51 where it says, Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil from your perspective, so that you are right in accusing me and justified in passing sentence. The next reference we see comes from Psalm 14, and that is where it says, mm, let's see, where was that one? Oh yeah, there was a very large passage, uh, verses 11 to 18 is kind of a combination of several passages from Old Testament scripture. Uh, two of the big ones are Psalms 14, and Psalms 14 is a pretty short psalm, so I'm going to go ahead and read most of it. Uh, when I get the right page. There we go. Psalms 14. Fools say in their hearts, there is no God. They deal corruptly. Their deeds are vile. No one does what is right. From heaven, Adonai observes humankind to see if anyone has understanding. If anyone seeks God, but all turn aside. All alike are corrupt. No one does what is right. Not a single one. Don't they ever learn all those evildoers who eat up my people as if eating bread and never call on Adonai? They are utterly terrified, for God is with those who are righteous. You may mock the plans of the poor, but their refuge is Adonai. How I wish Israel's salvation would come out of Zion. When Adonai restores his people's fortunes, Yaakov will rejoice. Israel will be glad. So, um, the passage in Romans 3 verses 11 through 18 is partially adapted from that. And then the very end where it says, there is no fear of God before their eyes, comes from a verse in Psalms 36 that says, before his eyes, there is no fear of God. There are a couple of more smaller references, but they weren't big enough to go over since we got a lot to get through. So what is this chapter talking about? This chapter has about two main subjects. The first is, what is the job of Tor? And it corrects those who think that the job of Tor is something other than what it is. Torah is, of course, the Jewish word for the scriptures. Since this is the complete Jewish Bible, it likes to use a lot of Hebrew words. One Hebrew word that you'll hear a lot is shalom. Uh, for example, in this verse, in verse 17, it says, and the way of shalom, they do not know. So you'll hear the word shalom a lot when I'm reading from this translation. And that just means peace. Shalom is peace. So, what is the job of Torah, the scripture? According to this chapter, it is to show people how sinful they are. The job of the Bible is not to save people from sin. It's only to point out that people are sinful and point them to Jesus Christ, who has the power to save us from sin. A lot of people, when, when Paul was writing this letter, a lot of people were saying that the Torah was bad or that something was wrong with it because it didn't have the power to save us from sin. But Paul says that was never the job of the Torah. The job of the Torah was only to show you your sin. Because if... The Torah, the scripture didn't tell us what sin is. We would never know that anything was wrong. We wouldn't know that something was wrong with us. And we wouldn't know how to fix that, how to fix our sin problem. What is Paul, Paul talking about at the beginning of this chapter? He says that a few unjust Christians does not prove that God is unjust. Every person sins, but that doesn't mean that God is sinful or that God is unfair to judge us for our sin because sin is still our choice. We still sin out of our own free will. We can't use the fact that it is in our nature to sin that everybody sins as an excuse for our own sin. 
God can take terrible circumstances and turn them into something great. But he can do amazing things with righteousness as well, and we should always be striving for righteousness. Also, a lot of Jewish people were thinking, oh, all I need is Torah. If I just follow all of the rules precisely in Torah, then that's good enough, and I don't need Jesus. I don't need salvation. And Paul says, no, that's not Torah's job. Torah can't save you. Following all the rules of Torah is not enough because you're still going to mess up. You're still going to do it with the wrong motivation to save yourself. Your motivation for following Torah is not to save yourself. It's because you love God who has already saved you. The second thing this chapter talks a lot about is um, how Gentiles relate to the Torah versus how Jewish people relate to the Torah. Only in the chapter it says that there is an advantage to being Jewish because God gave the scriptures to the Jewish people. God called upon Jewish writers. God inspired Jewish writers to write the scriptures. And you read about all the Jewish prophets in the Old Testament. And there are even some prophets mentioned in the New Testament. So there is an advantage to being the Jew in that God gave scripture to the Jewish people first. Scripture is to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. However, that doesn't mean that Jewish people in the end um, are better off when it comes to salvation than Gentile people. Um, there is a passage in Isaiah 56 that says, A foreigner joining Adonai should not say, Adonai will separate me from his people. Likewise, the eunuch should not say, I am only a dried up tree. For here is what Adonai says, As for those eunuchs who keep my Shabbats, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, in my house, within my walls, I will give them power and a name greater than sons and daughters. I will give him an everlasting name that will be cut off. So what does a name greater than sons and daughters mean? This is a reference to how Jewish people treated adoption. In Jewish culture, you could disown your children. If your son or daughter did something really, truly terrible, you could disown them and say, you are no longer my child and you will not receive a part in my inheritance. However, if a child was adopted, the adopted child could never be disowned. So that's what it's referring to. Um, because the Israelites were supposed to be God's children, he chose them as his people. The Israelites are God's children, but if they do not choose him, he disowns them. He cuts them off. And the Gentiles are not God's children. They were not God's chosen people. However, if a Gentile person chooses God, he will adopt them, and then they can never be disowned. It's a name greater than son or daughter because you're a son or a daughter who can never be disowned. God says, if you choose me, I will accept you and I will never cast you away. So that's what a name greater than sons or daughter means. So, so what room is left for boasting? None at all. Whatever, if a Jewish person follows Torah perfectly, it is still not enough to earn salvation because they are doing it with the wrong motivations. Torah is not meant to give us salvation. Torah points us to sin, and following every word of Torah is impossible. And if a Gentile person follows every word of Torah, it's not enough. Torah is not enough for salvation for Jew or for Gentile. We can do no work to get ourselves to righteousness. All the work is done by Christ Jesus alone. He is the one who died for us. He is the one who sacrificed his life so that we might find our life. He gave himself. He surrendered to death.
for our sake. He did all of the work and we can do nothing to get closer to salvation. All we can do is to choose to accept the forgiveness he freely offers to all. And the way that a Jew is saved and the way that a Gentile is saved is the same. It is by accepting the free gift of Jesus Christ. So the Torah cannot save us, but it's not meant to save us. The Torah is meant to point us to sin and to point us to the one who can save us. But the Torah has no power to give us salvation. So then why do we read the Torah? Um, a lot of people in Paul's day said that this was reason we should ignore the Torah. We should abandon the Torah because it can't save us. And Paul says, no, the Torah is holy and righteous and good. The Torah is good and we should keep reading it. Why do we read it if it can't save us? Firstly, because we love God, because this is the word of God. This is our physical proof that God exists and he cares about us. He gave us this book so that we could hear his own words from his own mouth. So we read the Torah firstly because we love God. Secondly, it helps make us better people. Becoming a better person cannot save us in any way, shape or form. But because we love God, we strive every day to be more like him. Reading Torah is especially important in a time like this when we're all stuck at home with our families. Even if we really love our families. I love my family. My parents are great. My sister is awesome. However, it's still difficult sometimes to never have the house to myself. I am an extreme extrovert. I love being around people. I get my energy from being around people. But I still need alone time sometimes. I Sometimes I want the house to be alone so I can record without worrying about people messing up the audio or so that I can just wander around and have the space to myself. So even I need time to myself and that can be difficult to get at the moment. So how do we stay, stay safe and kind in a time like this? The first way is by reading scripture. I try to read scripture every day. I, I fail and I fail often. I make excuses for why I can't do that day. I just forget but I do my best to get back on track. And reading scripture in the morning is great because the morning basically sets the tone for how the rest of your day will go. So pray and read scripture in the morning and then you'll have God's blessing on the rest of your day. And reading scripture can change your life. I noticed when I started reading scripture consistently, I changed, my days went better, I felt more productive, I felt more joyful, cheerful, ready to get the things done, I was less lethargic, I stayed on task. So reading scripture really does make a tangible difference in your life. Secondly, apologize quickly when you do mess up or unkind. No matter how much you read scripture and how much you pray, we're going to all make mistakes sometimes. We can't be perfect. And when we do mess up, we need to apologize quickly. If possible, if you just snapped at a family member, turn around and say, I'm sorry, that was wrong. Apologize as quickly as possible. The Bible says, leave your offering at the altar and go and make amends to the person you have a grudge against. So when you do mess up, Make amends as quickly as possible, instantaneously, if you can. Also, when you are upset, uh, don't respond immediately. Take a few deep breaths. Try to get by yourself. Do something that distracts you from the situation that made you angry. Don't dwell on your anger. Don't sit there and think about whatever made you mad. Do something else. Write. Draw a picture. Practice music. Take deep breaths. Read scripture. 
Just do something to get yourself away from that situation so that you don't respond to anger. Don't respond immediately to things that make you angry. Sit, let yourself calm down, breathe, think it through, and respond when the emotions aren't so fresh and when you have a better perspective and respond you have a better perspective on things. Also, be grateful and humble. We can always find things to be grateful for. If you're not sick, be grateful for that. If you are sick, be grateful that you're alive. If you're about to die, be grateful that you're about to go to heaven. We can always find something to be grateful for. Be humble. This is the worst time to be arrogant and try to compete with others. So always be humble and grateful. But know that it's okay to also be disappointed or upset. I've been disappointed plenty throughout this period of sickness and pandemic um right when it started i was going to be in a musical with a director i absolutely adore and i was really looking forward to it and i was disappointed when it was cancelled being grateful doesn't mean that you're never upset you can be full of the joy and contentment of christ and still be sad that's okay it's human being grateful doesn't mean that we have to be happy all of the time we can be upset process it don't feel guilty for being disappointed. Just don't take your disappointment out on others. Also, try to be understanding of others when they get upset or disappointed. You know your family best. What do they need? Do they need space, a listening ear? Do they need to get out of the house and go on a walk? Be there for your family. Support them. Try to give them whatever they need. Finally, I leave you with some scripture that I think is encouraging. Firstly, rejoice in hope. Be patient in your troubles and continue steadfastly in prayer from Romans 12, 12. Pray constantly. That doesn't mean that you have to always be at a church sermon and constantly be praying. It means throughout your day, offer little prayers to God. He loves you. You're his child. He wants to hear how you're doing. Share your joys. Share your disappointments. Share anything with God and he will listen. Pray constantly. Just offer up little prayers in your heart. And that will serve as a reminder to you that you are not living for yourself. You are living for Jesus Christ. Also, James 5, 8. Be patient. Keep up your courage. For the Lord's return is near. And if it was near back then, how much closer is it today? That's another thing I was wondering about. Is this the literal apocalypse as prophesied in Revelation? Personally, I don't think so. Um... However, it very well could be, and we need to keep our guard up just in case. There are many, many theories on what the apocalypse will look like. Will the rapture happen before or after the tribulation? Is the rapture a literal event, or does it mean something symbolic? Does it just mean that a bunch of people will die? Uh, will the Christians be here for the great tribulation? Um, if not, how will they not? How will they leave earth? And there are many amazing Christians who have studied this in detail and disagree. I haven't studied this topic enough to be an authority on it, but I do know that as we get closer to what will happen in Revelation and as we get closer to the apocalypse, it will become more clear and God will reveal to us what we need to know as long as we stay rooted in his word in which he reveals everything that we need to know to us. And also, it when the end of the world comes, will it happen in a big event? Will everybody know this is the end of the world? Will everybody say this is the apocalypse? I don't necessarily think so. I think it might be something slow. I think it might start with something like this. Nobody is calling COVID the literal apocalypse. Nobody thinks that the world is going to crash and burn and completely end. But it could start with something like this, something slow. 
COVID started as something slow and it's getting worse and worse and worse. And it looks like it might keep going this way. Uh, we pray that it doesn't, but it's far worse than we ever thought it would. And the apocalypse may very well be a slow creep starting with something like this. And then there'll be earthquakes and famines and increased violence. We see these things today. The world is going to get a lot worse before it gets better, the Bible tells us. The Bible says things are going to get bad. They are going to get ugly and violent and full of sin, as it was in Noah's day. But God promises to make things better someday. He will return no matter what. That could be tomorrow or it could be in a thousand years. We have to be constantly ready, constantly preparing our hearts for his return. Because we don't know when it will happen. But we do know that it will happen. And whatever happens on this life, we can get through it. And we can look back when we're in heaven and say, wow, it was all so worth it. Because we are going to live with Jesus someday. We're going to live on the new earth and live in God's presence. And that is amazing. Aren't we lucky to live in a universe where the God of all creation is good? If we lived in a universe like the Greeks thought we would, then the gods would all think that we were little tiny pathetic mortals who deserve to be crushed and should sacrifice everything we have to them. And the, the God, Greek gods thought that mortals weren't really worth their time except for what mortals could do for them. They didn't love the mortals, humans. But God knows that we can do nothing for him, and he loves us anyways. We don't deserve his love, but he gives it to us. And we are so blessed to live in a universe where the God of everything is good. Everything will be good someday. Let's look at today's meme. It is, as always, made by Clara. And so today's meme shows a guy sweating and reaching out to press a button. And his options of the buttons, one says Sesame Street and one says VeggieTales. Um, firstly, as a grammar queen, I feel the need to point out that tail, that um, tails should be capitalized on VeggieTales. But other than that, I think it's pretty good. I'm not sure what the guy is, what's going to happen when he presses a button, if he's either going to get to watch the show or if he's going to have to, like, destroy the show. Anyhow, um, I watched a lot of VeggieTales and a lot of uh, Sesame Street, so I can understand why he'd be having a difficult time making this decision, because they're both great shows. VeggieTales is amazing, not gonna lie, I still love it today. Um, <laughs> and I have a lot of great memories watching Sesame Street. Also, I think Sesame Street is really clever for using monsters as puppets because I think it helps kids get over their fear of monsters because whenever they think uh, get scared of a monster under the bed or a monster in the closet or something, they'll just think, oh, it's okay, it's just like uh, Sesame Street. So, good job. I'm going to give it a 39 out of 50 stars on the American flag. It's not your best, but it's still pretty good. Remember, you can find today's meme as well as lots of other fun stuff um, at our website, thepillaroffirepof.wixsite.com slash website. That's h-t-t-p-s colon forward slash forward slash t-h-e-p-i-l-l-a-r-o-f-f-i-r-e-p-o-f dot w-i-x-s-i-t-e dot c-o-m forward slash W-E-B-S-I-T-E. -E. You can also email us any comments or questions you have to the Pillar of Fire P 
T-H-E-P-I-L-L-A-R-O-F at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-P-I-L-L-A-R-O-F-F-I-R-E-P-O-F at gmail.com. And I want to hear from you. This podcast is still new. It's still in development. So I want to know, what segments do you like? Do you like having guest hosts? Are there any topics that you want to see discussed? So, um, episodes usually come out every other Saturday. You might notice that this is a Sunday and not a Saturday. That's because I just had a really busy weekend and couldn't get any filming done. Also, in two weeks, it's Christmas, so I probably won't be filming on Christmas. So you might get an episode this weekend. You might get one in three weekends. But in January, I'll resume the every other Saturday schedule. So, also remember the t-shirt giveaway is still going on. So if you are one of the first three people to send in comments to the show um, or questions, then you will be entered into a drawing for a free Pillar of Fire t-shirt. All the details for that are on the website. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you once more for this day. Thank you that you have given us your word. Thank you for giving us your word so that we can read it and hear your voice. I thank you that you care so much about us, that you will listen to us whenever we come to you. I pray that you will be with us all for these next two weeks. I pray that you will give us patience and kindness. I pray that you will fill us with your joy and contentment. And I thank you for your salvation and your son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, have a great couple of weeks, and I'll see talk to you again at some point. Bye, everybody.